0: This is the PFT PM podcast and now your host Mike Florio
1: April 20 edition 420 happy 420 to those of you who celebrate 420 420 coincidentally or not the launch of the league's annual drug testing program now if you're already in the program you can be tested at any time if you're not in the program you have one annual test there's a window that opens 420 closes early August. You get one test in that period of time. The players who get it, the players who understand how this works, the players who stop smoking marijuana long enough before 420, they hope to get their test sooner rather than later because they want to provide their sample because once they provide their sample, they're good to go until the next year. And the key is this, at the absolute latest, they will have clearance to partake by the time the season starts. So if players are under the impression and of the mindset that smoking marijuana, using edibles, if that helps process pain, helps make it easier to get through a season, you're good to go by the time the season starts, again, unless you have tested positive or otherwise gotten yourself into the program. Arrested for marijuana possession in one of the states where it's still illegal. Have a bag of weed fall out when you're hanging out with the commissioner because behavior, certain behavior will get you in the program. If you're not in the program, one test a year, you pass it, smoke them if you got them until next April 20 or at least 30 days to be safe before April 20, because the thinking is it can take up to 30 days for the marijuana metabolites to get out of the system. And that's if you do it the old fashioned way. I'm sure there are other ways to flush that out. And if all else fails, give Ontario Smith a call and get yourself a Wizenator. You know, those guys went to jail, the guys who sold the Wizenator because, and I don't know if they ultimately went to jail. I think they did. They got prosecuted and they pleaded guilty. I'm assuming there was some jail time involved because what you're doing by creating this device, a fake organ for the use of running clean urine through it during a drug test, you're circumventing a drug testing process that in several different respects is overseen by federal law. For example, an airplane pilot. You don't want to create a device that allows an airplane pilot to be chronically high, not in the way he's supposed to be, dad joke number one. So the window's open. The players who understand how to navigate this process should be fine. And no matter what arguments we make for the NFL abandoning this process, it's legal in nine states for recreational purposes. It's legal in 29 states for medicinal purposes. There's no longer a stigma. There's no longer a thought that it's a gateway drug to doing all sorts of crazy and addictive and inappropriate substances. And in some respects, it's safer than alcohol, safer than opioids. The NFL doesn't care about any of that. The NFL doesn't care that the war on drugs is over. All the NFL cares about is collective bargaining. Because drug testing, marijuana policy, the banishment on the use of recreational drugs is on the books. To get it off the books, the NFLPA has to go to the NFL and say... We'd like this to go away. What can we do? And the NFL would say, well, we want this, 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 this. And the union isn't going to do that because the union understands most players are smart enough to avoid testing positive. And then when you do test positive, you have to be sufficiently committed to your craft to stop. At some point, you have to choose football over marijuana. So I don't see the union ever giving up anything of significance. I don't see the NFL ever saying unilaterally and voluntarily. We're just going to wipe out this policy unless and until marijuana is legal from a federal standpoint. And Senator Charles Schumer, I saw today on 420 introducing a bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. If that would ever happen, then it would be up to the individual states. And at some point, enough states make it legal that the NFL just has to say, we're dropping the facade. It's like making tobacco, a banned substance under the substance abuse policy. Now, that doesn't apply to the PED policy. These are recreational, not performance-enhancing substances. Performance-enhancing substances, you can be tested at any time all year round. This is just substance abuse. Marijuana, cocaine, Adderall, and other stimulants in the off-season. During the season, it'll get you a PED violation. Off-season, it's something that falls under the substance abuse policy. So, Happy 420, but if you're in the NFL, do not celebrate until after you have provided your sample. Schedule came out last night, and the one point that fascinates me more than any other, we've addressed all the angles, all the stories are at profootballtalk.com. We talked about these various issues today on PFT Live, and even though I typically don't talk during the PM podcast about something I addressed during PFT Live, I do want to to emphasize a point that was made. And this relates to the fact that week 16, there are four games that have been earmarked on Sunday for possible movement back to Saturday. Of the four games, two will be moved. It's the first time the NFL has ever moved games from one day to another in season voluntarily. We've seen it before because of weather. We've seen it because of the Metrodome roof collapsing. We've seen games get moved because of the World Series. I remember times when a team that shares a facility with a baseball team, and that team's in the World Series, they had to move a game from a Sunday to a Monday. That rarely happens anymore because the NFL stadiums, for the most part, except for Oakland, I don't think there's any other mixed-use stadium, baseball, football. So... This is the first time the NFL is going into a season with a plan to flex a game from one day to another. And this is a logistical issue. If you're a team, you got to have your hotel reservations, you got to have your food arranged, your travel. And for the teams involved in these games, they have to have an either or situation. They have to be ready to play Saturday, they have to be ready to play Sunday, and at some point closer in time to the actual game, they will know. I haven't seen exactly when the decision will be made, obviously the sooner the better, but here's why this is significant. I interpret this as a signal by the league to the networks. Now let me just repeat what I wrote today. NBC has not given me any of this. I haven't talked to any of the executives there. They only wake me up for the unimportant meetings They know that because I have license to write whatever I want to write, they deliberately keep certain things away from me that would put me in a tough spot. I don't know if anybody's had this thought at NBC, CBS, Fox, ESPN, ABC, Turner, anywhere else, but if the NFL is willing and able to voluntarily flex games from one day to another, from Sunday to Saturday, why not flex from Sunday to Monday? That has been for years now something the NFL has said it can't do and it won't do. The first time that possibility came up was when NBC got Sunday Night Football, when Sunday Night Football became the new Monday Night Football, and part of the package was the flex process that allows the NFL to move certain late-season games, earmarked for Sunday night, into that spot in order to ensure that there's not some crap game. And since flex scheduling began, and it starts week 11... Week 5 to 10, there can be some flexing because there's always the possibility that a team with a great quarterback that is due to play in that window has that quarterback, an ACL, and that's that. And I'm not going to name teams or name players because then I'll be accused of applying the jinx. So with Monday Night Football at ESPN, the package expires after 2021, all the other contracts 2022. I think the signal could be, hey, if you're willing to pay the price, you're going to have flex scheduling protection potentially. And I think the way it would work is you identify two or three games from Sunday and maybe don't even put one tentatively on Monday night. There are two or three games from weeks 12 through 16, because typically no Monday night football week 17. They used to have a final game of the season Monday night, but the problem is with playoff games now on Saturday, wildcard games, you could end up in a spot where you got a team playing on Saturday who played on Monday. So weeks 12 through 16, identify two or three games in April, and there will be a deadline by which the Monday night game will be selected. And if you want to Pencil one in for Monday Night Football, so be it. I think it's better, and I think it creates more drama if we don't know which one's going to be the Monday Night Football game. And if Monday Night Football ends up back on ABC or on one of the other three-letter networks, the goal is going to be get the biggest audience possible because broadcast networks generate a bigger audience. you got to have better games. So keep an eye on this. I think this is a test run by the NFL to see how big of a logistic headache it will be when they do it this year by picking two games out of four that have been earmarked for flexing forward. Wait, backward. You know what I mean. They know who we mean. One other thing before I play the first of our two interviews, and that's this issue of rest disparity. Peter King mentioned it in a reaction column to the scheduling process at SI.com fascinating little details behind the curtain. Rest disparity officially a factor for the first time, and that is the number of days of rest total that a team has in comparison to the number of days of rest that its opponents collectively have. Last year, the Giants were upset because they had a negative 22 rest disparity, meaning their opponents collectively had 22 more days of rest before the various games that were played than the Giants did. This year, Peter mentioned that the highest negative rest disparity is 11. He didn't say which team, and he didn't say who had the highest positive rest disparity. So I suggested when I wrote it up, if there's some industrious member of the newly minted PFTPM posse that would like to do so, I wouldn't complain. And Mike Feldman has done it. Now, I haven't checked the math, but there is a minus 11, and it's the Colts. The team that has the highest positive rest disparity is the Cardinals at plus 12. Houston, plus 12. Steelers, plus 12. Other noteworthy negatives scanning through this list, and there's a tweet at PFT. We retweeted the list. Giants are at minus seven. Washington, minus seven. No one else, negative double digits. So, ideally, they would all be zero, but that's impossible. Or at least they're taking it into account as they make the schedule. And this has been something that the NFL gradually has learned. There are different things they need to do. For example, this year, if you're on a road game on a Monday night, you don't have a road game the following Sunday. And it was just several years ago that the NFL finally woke up to the problem of Thursday night football, where a team that plays on the road on Thursday had played on the road on Sunday. That means you got to travel home after the Sunday game, you got to travel back to some other place again. So you have two travel obligations in a short period. And sometimes what will happen is, or I guess to conjugate more properly, what had happened was a team that played on the road Sunday and then had to play on the road Thursday was playing a team that was home Sunday and home Monday. So no travel obligations on a short week versus two travel obligations on a first week, on a short week. The fairest outcome here would be, and I don't, I think they do this now across the board. The home team on Thursday is on the road, or at least should be on the road on Sunday. So it has a travel obligation and the team that is on the road on Thursday should be at home on Monday. So it has a travel obligation. That's the fairest way on a short week to minimize or equalize, I guess is the better term, the inconvenience. All right. We have two interviews today. They both, I believe, are were very good, despite my involvement in them. I'm going to begin with the great Cardinals running back, David Johnson, very easily out of sight, out of mind, because he missed 15 games last year. He suffered a wrist injury week one against the Lions. He's a guy we've spoken to several times since that injury. He always makes time for us when he does one of his sponsored tours. Earlier today, I had the chance to talk to David Johnson. Here's the interview. Welcome back. Joining us now, one of the great running backs in the National Football League, and David Johnson joins us on behalf of his partner, Rockin' Protein, the great-tasting, high-quality protein drink that David trusts. David Johnson, welcome back to the program. How are you, pal?
2: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, we're still digesting the schedule. It came out last night. We knew the who. We knew the where. We didn't know the when. The when is very important. When the schedule comes out for the Arizona Cardinals, what's the first thing you look for?
2: I think the first thing I look for are those divisional games Uh, when we play Seattle, the 49ers, and when we play the Marines because those are usually our biggest games, especially me, uh, my biggest games.
1: When you look at what the Rams have done this off season and it's been a while since we've talked the Rams have made some major moves either to try to win the LA market or to try to win the Super Bowl or both when you see everything the Rams are doing what kind of reaction does that stir within you
2: I mean they're, uh, they're making some some handling, especially on defense they got they added a lot of new uh high caliber defensive players that going to make my uh job pretty tough but Um, You know, I'm excited to play those guys just because they're coming up, everyone's uh, talking about them, and I think it's going to be a great game.
1: Who would you rather pick up on a blitz, Indominus Sue or Aaron Donald? (laughs) Uh, Neither. I I, I wouldn't want to pick up any of those
2: guys. Hopefully I'll want to block those guys and make my job easy.
1: David, when... The Cardinals see all these changes that the Rams have made, all the star players that they're harvesting. How much does that motivate the Cardinals to, to get it together, to go out there and have an opportunity to knock off the Rams when the chance arises on the schedule?
2: Well you know what we really uh, trying to focus on our team, especially with the new coaching staff, the new players. We're kind of really focus in on our new scheme, um, our new um, Regimen and the team aspect, and really just try to get ready for everything that we play this season.
1: And you guys have some big changes this year, obviously in the coaching staff. Steve Wilkes in for Bruce Arians. What's the biggest difference you've noticed so far between Coach Arians and Coach Wilkes?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. I would say
1: the biggest difference is probably Wilkes um, is
2: a little bit more of this new generation uh, as far as uh, playing music in practice. Uh, playing music throughout the whole facility. And the uh, yeah, is more of the old school, you know, um, getting it done, uh, no press, no uh, warm up and stuff like that. So there's a little bit of a difference between them both, but I think they're both great coaches, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what Wilkes brings
1: to the table. I saw something recently about Coach Wilkes that – Seems like an old-school trade. He says he wants to practice during training camp outside in the heat as much as possible. How do you feel about that?
2: <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> it should be fun. Um, we'll see when the heat actually starts coming up and you know when it actually starts getting hot. Uh, we'll see when we'll practice. We'll probably have to just practice super early in the morning just so it's not so hot outside.
1: The draft is coming up next week. You were a third-round pick of the Cardinals in 2015, ended up being one of the steals of that draft. What's the biggest memory for you that comes to mind when you think of your draft experience?
2: I think the call. Obviously, the call was the biggest thing. Um, The Cardinals had called me before and then uh, told me, you know, just wait up, and then they ended up calling me again. So it was a lot of emotion going into it. Um, I finally got the call I kind of was, was struck. Um, I, w- I was frozen, didn't know what to expect, and I kind of just had to sit back and realize that everything I've done, all the hardships, all the uh, stuff that I've had to go through to get there had finally paid
1: off. Who is it that made that, that last call to you that told you you were going to be a member of the Cardinals?
2: It was, uh, it was, I, I-, I talked to B.A., And he was the one who told me, you know, he decided to have me on the team. Couldn't wait to see, you know, what I had to bring to the team. And, and, you know, obviously I'm going to have to work hard to um, prove myself. and uh, Hopefully I get a chance to be a good uh, role for the team.
0: And David,
1: how closely will you pay attention to what the Cardinals do or don't do in the draft next week?
2: I'm always going to pay close attention just because they're going to be new players. And uh, I'm becoming somewhat of a veteran. So I'm going to want to help the younger guys, just like I had when I was coming in as a uh, rookie. I'm going to want to help those guys due to the atmosphere of being an NFL player, not just on the field, but off the field.
1: You recently made a comment that raised some eyebrows about the Cardinals' offense this year with Sam Bradford, a quarterback, the potential to be the best offense in the NFL. What kind of reaction did you get for that observation?
2: You know what? Um, I did get some some uh, controversial uh comments but you know i'm, I'm just, just so excited for the season and especially since now the whole season last year basically that i couldn't wait to get back and i'm so excited for this new team and not new team i mean new players it really feels like a new team but new players new uh quarterback like you said new guys up in front and uh the new staff so i was so excited that to get ready for the season that you know i had to say that
1: and that injury happened back in week one. You missed the rest of the season. I know you have a clean bill of health and you're ready to go. But is there anything that, that you will do differently going forward because of the injury that happened to you last year? Or is this just one of the potential risks that arises from playing running back in the NFL?
2: It is a risk. But um, I think the biggest thing is, is making sure I stay as healthy as possible, doing treatment, uh, doing everything that I can staying good with my uh, nutri- nutrients, uh, nutrition, and, you know, rocking this protein has been a, a good thing for me to help me stay good with my uh, nutrition.
1: We talked earlier about the changes the Rams made this year. I'm surprised they haven't signed Des Bryant yet. They've signed everybody else. Has there been any movement behind the scenes in Arizona to try to get Des Bryant to join the Cardinals?
2: No, not that I know of. Um, I don't know what they're thinking up front office, so uh, we'll see what happens.
1: One rule that changed this year for the NFL, and it's caused plenty of people to say we're not sure what the NFL is thinking, this new helmet rule that generally prohibits lowering the helmet to initiate contact. You're a running back. Running backs lower their helmets to initiate contact all the time, primarily to protect themselves and to gain yardage. How concerned are you that if this rule is applied literally, it's going to dramatically change the way the running game operates?
2: You know what? It's going to be tough. Um... Just because, like you said, as a running back, we're um, natural instincts is to lower our heads. But I just know that the NFL is trying to look out for the safety of all the players. And, uh, you know, it's going to be something that I'm going to have to try to get used to and try to work with.
1: Have you gotten any guidance yet, David, on what exactly this rule is going to entail?
2: No, no, I haven't really gotten too in-depth about it. Um, hopefully, you know, by the time training camp comes, that we'll talk – more in depth about it exactly you know what the rule is and what you can and cannot do
1: another rule change that hasn't happened yet david but i think it's inevitable the kickoff going to go away you had 22 kick returns as a rookie including a 108 yard touchdown how do you feel about that aspect of the game possibly disappearing for good
2: actually um that's going to be a uh, one that i don't think i like that's going to go away because like you said, um that's one of the biggest things that helped me get to where I am in the NFL and the league is uh, you know, starting my staple in the league. It was special teams, especially kick return and that's you know, starts the game, starts the half and those are um momentum swings. If you have a, someone who could uh, you know, change the field, um, the line of scrimmage of the field, that way, uh, you know, it could be a huge momentum swing. So I feel like that should definitely stay as part of the NFL.
1: Well, David, thanks again to you and to your partner, Rockin' Protein. We always appreciate having a chance to talk to you. We're rooting for you to get back and be every bit as productive as you were your first two years in the NFL, and we wish you all the best moving forward.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks again to David Johnson, one of my favorite players in the NFL, and he will be back and ready to go for the Cardinals this year. I asked him about that helmet rule. And I continue to be concerned about the fact that teams don't know the contours of this rule before the draft. Draft decisions are going to be made based upon a perception of what this rule is going to be. And by the way, this is a question that has its roots in the PFTPM posse. This is something that someone asked last Friday, and it's good because these questions help focus my attention on the things that need to be asked the things that need to be answered, the things that need to be considered. If you're thinking about drafting a bruising between the tackles running back or a linebacker known for run stuffing who has a history of dropping his helmet and going in and putting that helmet on a guy, getting small, trying to be the low man, and using that helmet, you may have a problem. And I think if this new rule, the rule that prohibits lowering of the helmet to initiate contact, if it is applied literally... It's going to change everything about the running game, at least between the tackles. So more valuable will be outside runners. More valuable will be guys who hit the hole upright and snake through. If you're a guy that gets the ball and just plows, drops your head and plows, remember that highlight of Earl Campbell dropping his head and putting it into the stomach of Isaiah Robertson of the Rams? Tony Dungy tells a story that when that happened back in the 70s, they played the film of it at the Steelers facility. And Jack Lambert said, do not ever play that again. He didn't want his teammates to see that. He didn't want them to fear Earl Campbell doing that to them. Now that dropping the helmet straight into the stomach, that's already prohibited outside of the tackle box moving forward, what is prohibited, what is allowed, and the teams should know before the draft. I have a feeling the NFL still doesn't know. The way they set this thing up, this very secretive process where no one even knew it was under consideration, they pushed the rule through. Let's push the rule through. Let's get the blank check, and then we'll decide later how much money we're actually going to spend, how much capital we're going to take away from the game, how much we're going to change the game with the license that we've obtained to basically change it dramatically if we want to. Okay, one more interview. Another one that I very much enjoyed. A guy who could be the number one overall pick in the draft. Either way, I doubt he's going to last very long on the board come Thursday night. Wyoming's Josh Allen. Here's my conversation with him from earlier today. Welcome back, and now it's time to talk to the guys at the very top of the draft. Let's start with a guy who quite likely could be the first pick overall of the Cleveland Browns, he is former Wyoming quarterback Josh Allen. Josh, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm uh, happy to be on.
1: Hey, Josh, it's great to have you. And I need to mention that you're with us as part of the Rolling with the Rookies content series from Hyundai. It features the journey of four NFL prospects, including you, Minka Fitzpatrick, Connor Williams and Darius Geist. The video is available at YouTube.com. I want to talk to you first about DraftJoshAllen.com. I know you have no affiliation with that, but what do you what do you make what do you make of the pardon my take guys and the fact that they've taken a shine to you in advance of the draft?
3: Uh, so I actually got to spend time with them when I went to New York. Uh, they are some really funny guys, just guys you want to be around. Um, you know, it's something that I've never thought what happened to somebody just making a web page about me, you know. So uh, it's been pretty cool to see the response that it gets from the fans. Obviously, I do enjoy Barstool and uh, what they got going on there. So, um, you know, I look at it as as an opportunity. It's it's really cool for fans and for me, and uh, it's a good time.
1: And it just shows, Josh, how far you've come as a guy who wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school, went to junior college, had to really work and work and work to get to where you are now. When was the moment for you where you felt that, that switch flip that, you know what, I'm destined for the NFL and I'm going to make it in the NFL?
3: So as weird as it sounds, I've always felt like I'm gonna, I was, I was going to make it to the NFL. Um, I've been extremely self-confident in myself this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. So I kind of distanced, I worked my tail off, and, um, you know, I made it happen. But I think the one, you know, instance going back to playing at Wyoming, you know, the game we beat Boise State was obviously fantastic because they were the number 13 ranked team in the nation. And, um, you know, we made some plays in there that just kind of solidified my beliefs in myself, just knowing that I can do it. I can play with the best of them. Um, you know, I had had a great team surrounding me at Wyoming, and, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that the coaches gave me a chance there.
1: And we had a chance earlier this year to talk to your Wyoming coach, Craig Bull. Since leaving Wyoming, you've been working a lot with Jordan Palmer, and I get the impression that you have a very strong feeling for what he's done for you, how he's helped you. How how did you come to choose Jordan Palmer as the person who would guide you through this process?
3: You know, I I got to meet Jordan going back to May last year. He had one of his camps, the Summit, um, at it was Memorial Day weekend, I believe, and he asked me to come out there and be one of the camp counselors, and um, I agreed to it. I got down there with Sam Donald and Jarrett Stidham, guy from Auburn. Great guys. And I just fell in love with what Jordan was about, how he was coaching these kids, uh, the process that went behind it. Obviously, he was in the NFL for, I think, six or seven years. His brother, obviously, was in first overall pick, and he's been in the league for a very long time. So he has had this you know kind of sold him for me um and then you get to meet him and he is just the most talented guy uh he, he really cares about people and uh you know he's kind he's become like a big brother slash mentor to me and um i'll be forever thankful for everything that he's done for me
1: and obviously josh one of the best things a mentor can do is help you get better at the things that you need to improve upon. It's easy to help a guy get better at the things he's good at. The things that need improvement are the key. And I've heard you say in the past that Jordan Palmer has helped you with your footwork. Can you give us an idea specifically as to how Jordan Palmer, what he's done that has helped improve your footwork as you get ready for the next level?
3: Yeah. So Jordan's got a really good eye. When he sees mechanics, he can tell you what's going on. Um, so for me, I was a big overstride guy. So I would. Uh, move my left leg and it'd be way out and it threw off the sequencing my elbow would tend to drop after that the ball would sell on me so what he would do he would first get a band and put them around my ankles so it forced me to be uh, fairly narrow then he would have me go through drills he'd push me back he'd um, try to get me in the most uncomfortable positions. Uh, and then when I was about to throw I had to find that perfect base and you know after a couple of weeks, I started to feel it, and I, I can self-correct myself now. And um, you know, anything that Jordan sees, I trust because anything that he's told me has worked. Uh, so it, now, it's been a blessing to have him.
1: And and here's where I get confused by this process because when you've been doing things a certain way while you play football for a number of years, I, I understand and appreciate the importance of focusing on making a change. But when you go out and play how do you know that you're going to do it the way that Jordan has been training you and not revert back to the muscle memory that you've built up from high school, college, et cetera?
3: So, I mean, so going back to the senior bowl, I had worked with Jordan for about three weeks up to that point, And it was just literally telling myself before every snap, short front stride, short front stride, so that when I snapped the ball, I could focus on the play at hand. I already told myself short front stride, that was going to follow through with it. So um, it's, it's not as hard as, as you'd think, obviously, with bullets flying at you and people chasing you down. Um, you know, you usually convert back to your old ways, but, you know, Jordan and I worked extremely hard on it, and uh, we just kind of trusted what Jordan was telling me.
1: Apart from any mechanics, Josh, what's the best advice you've gotten in advance of this process? Um, you know, going
3: back to... What Carson Wentz told me a couple couple years ago, or last year, I should say, uh, just knowing that you're stepping into be the face of a franchise. You got you know guys that are 30 year old dudes with families, and they're caring about them. They're looking at you to be you know the guy, and that's going to help them win games and be the leader of the team. So um, you got to be mentally prepared for it. And throughout all the stuff we've been doing with Jordan, you know, pairing that up and uh, learning. As much as we can about defense and uh, different systems in the nfl offensively uh you know it's just about staying cool being yourself um and then going out there and, and having fun playing the game of football
1: it's been a long process for you and the other guys who were going to be drafted over the past several months what part of it jo- josh have you liked the most
3: you know being around the dudes uh around the combine getting to spend time with sam donald Kyle allen training with jordan palmer was pretty special those are some really good dudes that, you know, will be uh, lifelong buddies. So that was pretty cool. You know, Hyundai came out, um, you know, uh, they, they had their guy, Marcus Rivera, um, Marcus Rivera, I'm sorry. He came out, he actually designed a car wrap on one of their vehicles and it's going to kind of display my journey throughout the NFL or throughout my journey to the NFL. So it's been really cool to kind of sit down and talk with him and uh, kind of displays that underdog mentality that I've had and the journey that I've had to take to the NFL. So that's probably the coolest thing I'm looking forward to seeing uh, come draft time.
1: You mentioned Sam Darnold, and beyond him, we're at the Combine and you're with the other top quarterbacks. What, what's the vibe? Is there kind of a... Uh, an awkwardness to the fact that you know you guys are all alpha males you guys are all striving to be top picks I- is there just a weird kind of a personality thing that goes on or does it all mesh fairly quickly and you guys get along
3: as weird as it seems there's really no animosity there's no awkwardness between me and Sam we actually uh, had New York Giants and Jets visits the last few days we were in the airport at the same time we sat down we had lunch um, we just talked about everything that was going on and you know, we we both have thought about this since we were little, and now that it's kind of coming into fruition, we just kind of sat there and talked about it. We're like, we're eight days away from, you know, fulfilling the dream of being an NFL quarterback. So it's really cool to kind of hear his perspective and him hear my perspective. And we tr- we truly do want the best for each other. I want the most success for Sam. Um, you know, getting to meet him, his family, that he comes from great people. Uh, and You know, you, you couldn't ask for a better guy than Sam. So... Um, It's been really cool to have that relationship with them.
1: Any friendly wager on who gets picked first?
3: We haven't talked about that yet, but I will probably call him or see him a couple days prior to the draft. So uh, we can probably work up something.
1: You mentioned a few of your visits, Josh. Which teams have you visited uh, throughout this journey?
3: So I had seven visits. uh, Jets, Giants, um, Bills, Dolphins, Browns, Cardinals. Broncos. I didn't say them already. So I had seven, seven visits and I've been on the road for the last two and a half weeks. And you know, I finally got to settle down and come home for a few days and kind of enjoying time with my family now.
1: What part of this process have you liked the least?
3: You know, I think it's a little overdrawn. I think that it could be shorter. Um, I understand that people have to I do the due diligence, teams have to, you know, see these guys day in, day out, and they have to kind of make up their minds on who they want to pick. But it's been a super long process, and you look, you turn on the TV on ESPN or NFL Network, and they're talking about the same thing every day, and that's probably what tires me the most. I, you know, I don't understand what they can talk about uh, for that long, but it's a part of the process. I've enjoyed it, and I, I probably wouldn't have changed a thing throughout the past, So.
1: What bugs you the most when you hear people talking about you on TV or elsewhere?
3: Uh, the inaccuracy issues. And, you know, going back to college, having a 56% completion percentage. Obviously, it's not great, but I think that um, yeah, it's a little blown out of proportion. I do think that I'm accurate, and uh, you know, Jordan Palmer's helped me out a lot throughout this process with getting my feet right, and uh, once once we did that, you know, um, throwing the ball. A little easier, the ball's coming out, and it's it's where it's supposed to be.
1: Why do you think that the completion percentage doesn't accurately reflect your overall accuracy?
3: You know, I think if you look at the film, um, at the times that I did miss, you know, my feet were jacked. And going back to our offensive system, I was asked to do you know a lot of things within our system. We threw the ball downfield a lot, um, and I, I you know I, I I am the one to admit that I didn't put the ball where it needed to be all the time. But you know, given the circumstances that we had in Wyoming, Wyoming, um, you know, we won, you know, two uh, back-to-back eight-win seasons. So uh, it was a place where you know we ended up winning football games, and uh, you know, I think that I helped out in that manner and put the team in the best position to win football games. So, um, yeah, that's about it. You,
1: you mentioned the visits that you made. Earlier in our discussion, and a lot of folks don't realize there's a difference between making a visit to a team and having a private workout because they have to come to you for the private workout. How many private workouts have you had in advance of the draft? Only one. Only one. Who, who was it?
3: Uh, I'll keep that information disclosed if you don't mind.
1: Oh, I do mind. Come on, man. Well, you say we don't have anything to talk <laughs> about sorry. before the draft.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's a team. I'll say that they're on the East Coast, and um, I won't mention any names, but it was a good workout, and they came out with um, their head coach, OC, and um, GM, and got to know them a little bit, a little bit more. And it was one of the teams that I visited, so there is some interest there, and uh, we'll find out draft night what happens.
1: Well, hey, one more before I let you go, Josh. Uh, A lot of times the issue comes up for a young quarterback. Is it better to sit? Is it better to play right away? What's your preference? Would you like to sit and learn for a year or so, or would you like to jump right into it? See, the
3: competitor in me wants to play right away. Um, But for long-term success, you know, sitting behind somebody, learning the ins and outs of NFL football, it wouldn't be the worst thing for me, too. So, you know, whatever situation I'm put in, I'm going to, you know, take – take head on and I'm going to learn and uh, try to be the best quarterback that I can be.
1: Well, Josh, congratulations on your success. It's a great story and I love a great story. And it'll be great to see the next chapter next Thursday night, Arlington, Texas. Josh Allen gets picked by somebody within the first few minutes or first half hour of the proceedings. We'll see how it goes. Congratulations again. And we will check out the videos at the YouTube channel for the Hyundai Rolling with the Rookies content series. And uh, we hope to talk to you again down the road.
3: Perfect. And make sure to check it out, too, HyundaiUSA.com slash NFL. They've done some great stuff, some great content. Um, so, please, they, they, they uh, kind of describe my journey there, and it's, it's been really cool to work with Hyundai, so go and check that out.
1: All right, pal, thanks again, and all the best, and we look forward to our next visit. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks again to Josh Allen, and be sure to check out the Hyundai website along with the YouTube series tracking him and various other rookies. Okay, let's get right to the questions. Now, I didn't specifically say ask questions. I think that people are figuring out when the bat signal goes up, when the tweet goes, and I'm going to try this one day next week, I'm just going to tweet the gif of the bat signal and say nothing else. And we'll see if people realize that means ask your questions. All I said today, attention, PFTPM Posse, new episode taping at 3.30 p.m. Enter the gif of the bat signal and 64 questions in 33 minutes. Let's see what we have here. Could you let Chris Sims know that we would like to make him a member of the PFTPM Posse on this global holiday of 420 and make sure Stats on Fire knows he is not a member? All right. Multitasking. I have a text message chain with Chris Sims, Stets, Guerrera, and Matt Casey. And the text has just been sent. Copy and paste of the tweet. Done and done. Question from at recliner QB. NFL teams are devoting less cap space to running backs than any other position besides kicker and punter. So how do I justify taking a top five running back? Is it five-year contract plus two franchise tags? Yes. Yes. If you think it's going to be a great running back and you have to be convinced that this running back you take, top five, top 10, is going to be a special transcendent player and you have to be willing to use him. I'm still not on board with the Christian McCaffrey decision from a year ago in Carolina because I don't think they use him enough to justify the draft equity of an eighth overall pick as the investment to get him. But the thinking is, You draft him, you use him, you keep him for five years, and then one franchise tag, maybe two, and then you let him walk. That's what the Steelers are going to do with Le'Veon Bell. Now, they didn't draft him with a first-round pick, but if they had, they'd have him for one more year. First-round pick, five years, plus a sixth under the franchise tag, then maybe a seventh. By then, there's no tread left on the tires. And the problem is if you sign that running back to a long-term deal, a long-term big money deal. Remember Sean Alexander when he got his long-term deal? The Seahawks cut him after one year. They have a hard time earning that long-term deal at the running back position unless the running back is your offense, like Adrian Peterson was. Although I don't think that was good for the Vikings. I think that held them back. If you don't have a diverse passing game, and they had that one year with Brett Favre, the first year with Brett Favre that worked out well, The rest of the time, they couldn't develop a passing game. So you're eventually going to come up against a team that shuts down your running game, and you're screwed. So if you're going to go running back, you better be ready and willing and able to end the relationship at the appropriate time, even if your fans all have the guy's jersey and want him to be there. With a running back, you don't want to get caught paying him huge money in the year that the skills begin to drop off dramatically. At Niner season, I'm just here for the t-shirts. We are working still on the PFTPM Posse T-shirt. Black88 Elite, would you let stats on fire? No, he is clearly not a member of the PFTPM Posse. Hashtag no loyalty. I will let him know again, he is not in the PFTPM Posse. And now of course I have accidentally exited the chain. I'm back. Sergio D. Hey, Paisano. What's up, Paisano? Albert Breer said the NFL has invested an eight-figure sum in the new Tottenham Stadium. Is this true? If so, what does it suggest about an NFL future in London? I still think that until supersonic flight returns, the NFL will continue to use the possibility of a team in London as the carrot to get people to buy the tickets and show the appropriate enthusiasm as the NFL continues to expand the annual slate of games. I think one year there was four. They've been back to three the past couple of years. I think the long-term play here is to eventually have six, seven, or eight games played in London every year. The equivalent of the cereal boxes, the little cereal boxes that are shrink-wrapped together, you get a variety pack. You still get eight games, but it's different teams. It's different games. I think that's where this is headed. So it's important to have the facility. If you're going to play the eight games, it doesn't mean a team is there. It means at some point there's going to be a more robust schedule of games. And you're going to have the equivalent of a home team experience. You're just going to see different teams every time you go. And there will be teams that have a connection to London, like Jacksonville. Now, if they ever do, move a team there. I think they need to move two teams there. And I'm not in favor of an expansion franchise. There aren't enough quarterbacks to go around with 32. You'd have to find teams currently on the NFL grid and move them to London. And you need two, I think, to make it work. Because then you have a geographic rivalry, excitement, intrigue. But I think that not just travel. And I talked about this earlier in the week. Tax rates, exchange rates, salary cap disparities. You'd have to give the teams in London enough of an advantage that if they're successful, the other teams that aren't in London would say, well, they're only successful because you've rigged this system in their favor. At Black 88 Elite, who has the toughest schedule this year? I don't know, because I refuse to assess a schedule based upon last year. And I haven't sat down to identify which one I think is the toughest. Let me try to do that over the weekend. But the reality is, you won't know how tough your schedule is this year until we know how good the teams are this year. You can say, well, I'm facing eight playoff teams. Well, they were playoff teams last year. You may be facing two playoff teams this year. And remember, the disparity from team to team in the same division is not what it used to be. The only difference is two games. You play the same teams from your division, three teams, two games each. You play all four teams from one of the other divisions in your conference, all four teams from one of the divisions in the other conference, and then for the other two divisions in your conference where you don't play all the teams, you only play the team that finished in the same spot you did. So those two games are the only variance from first place to fourth place, other than the fact that the fourth place team in a division has two games against a first place team from its division and the first place team in the division has two games against the fourth place team. That's a natural distinction, but those fall under the same bucket of divisional games. And, you know, in most divisions, it doesn't matter who the best team or the worst team was last year. In a lot of the divisions, we see competitive games year in and year out. At the Impact 99, how excited are you for your Penguins this postseason? Seem to be back on track, crushing Philly. I think the season ends for the Flyers tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, NBCSN, some of you may be listening to this while you're watching the hockey game. If so, thank you. I enjoy postseason hockey. Stats calls me a fair weather fan. I call Stats a lot of things far worse than Fairweather fan. He doesn't understand. It's not Fairweather fan. Because I don't care if the Penguins are the eighth seed or the one seed. I'm all in for the Penguins when they're in the postseason. They got to be in the postseason, obviously. Because I only care about postseason hockey. I don't care about regular season hockey. I can't get myself excited about it because there's 82 games postseason, it has a different vibe. It has a different feeling. It has a different mindset. The rink gets smaller. The hits get bigger. The goals mean more. So regular season hockey, fine. I, I won't even, like if I know the Penguins are on and I'm sitting here working, I, if I turn it on, I won't really pay all that close of attention to it. And if they score a goal, I don't get excited. If they give up a goal, I don't get excited. I know there's 82 total games. So that's not fair weather fan. That's just recognizing the fundamental difference between regular season and postseason hockey. What else do we have here? At Recliner QB has a tweet that is confusing me about Recliner QB's job. I work from home for a large cloud software company, and I demo accounting, ERP, project management, et cetera, software for companies, helping them choose correctly and helping them process efficiency, consulting. I am called a senior solution consultant. That must, that, that I assume relates to something from yesterday's 100-minute marathon that I have forgotten. So I apologize. My brain was mush after yesterday's one hour and 40-minute PFTPM podcast. At the Impact 99, do you follow any soccer teams or leagues? If so, which ones? I know you played FIFA a good bit before. Yeah, four years ago, I was all in with the FIFA game. Something happened, though. It became too much of a simulation, it became less fun, it became too frustrating. And I always felt frustrated after I played it. Again, that was the game I was playing while I was working out. Then I discovered Madden a couple of years ago, and no more FIFA, all Madden all the time. The World Cup is coming up. I'll probably pay some attention to it because I'm not sure what else will be going on in the summer months. So maybe I'll rediscover FIFA. Although I asked one of my friends about, and yes, I do have friends, about FIFA now. And he said, I don't play it anymore either. It's too much of a simulation. It's too hard to do. It's not as exciting as it used to be. So hopefully they'll make it more exciting because I will go back to it at some point if it is. At recliner QB, as someone who has had a total of six shoulder surgeries, four on the right and two on the left, Luck shoulder will never be the same, especially after jacking it up, rehabbing too fast. Colts GM should not have that level of confidence in his shoulder. Yeah, I think they're giving him one year because of the financial investment that they made and because due to the injury guarantee, they're paying him this year no matter what. I think if they have another bad year and they end up in the top 10 next year, I think they draft their next quarterback and just move on. But this is it for luck. He's going to have to come back and play and play at a high level or he could be done. Terry Gensler asks, do you think some of the safety rules are geared toward the NFL talking the NFLPA into an 18 game schedule? I think that's part of it. You make these safety changes, you have fewer concussions. I still think 18 games with a limit per player of 16. That's going to be the eventual winner. I don't know when. Next CBA and then next round of TV deals, possibly. But I think we're heading toward 18 games with a 16-game per player cap with possible exceptions for kicker punter long snapper holder and quarterback because the quarterback has the safety rules that make the game less intense for him now I say this from time to time there's one more rule change that can be made for quarterbacks and it can be the equivalent of the punter and kicker rule once the ball's out can't be touched If you're going to hit him, you better hit him before he throws it. I don't think that ever happens. It would fundamentally change the nature of the game. But if that's the trade-off for having quarterbacks play all 18 games, maybe that's what the NFL does. Terry Gensler, you were saying Thursday on PFT Live, the best way to stop tanking without a lottery is to give the best teams the top picks. Would it make sense to do that for just the first round? Yes. No. You know what you do? Ah, this would be cumbersome. If you did a lottery for every pick, for every round, 1 to 32 for every round, a completely random process, or do you do a snake draft? Do you do it that way? Maybe you do that. You set the first round by lottery, and then you snake it 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So, the last pick goes first and all the way down in round two, then you go back to the round one order for round three, back to the round two, you you eh, 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 You get the point. That's what I would suggest. Recliner QB, Jason Witten has lost a step or two and oftentimes sends younger players back to the sidelines after coaches sub them in. Is he slowing progress for the Cowboys? I mean, look, at some point he's got to be sufficiently self-aware to realize it's time to move on. The tough spot for the Cowboys is they love everything he brings to the table. So you're willing to tolerate a moderate decline in skills because he's a good mentor and a good example for the younger players. Contrast that with Des Bryant. If they perceive a small dip in skills, he's been a pain in the butt. So see you later. So I think that's what's going on with Jason Witten. At Faisal Morali, what defensive position has the worst possible impact because of this new helmet rule? Middle linebacker without question. Until we know that the running game between the tackles is not going to be completely gutted by this rule. As written, middle linebacker, because middle linebacker is the guy that's dropping the helmet and stuffing the hole and getting low and taking down the ball carrier. And maybe weak side linebacker in the Tampa 2 system, because it's all funneled toward the weak side linebacker making the tackles. So if you're the guy making the tackles in space, it's going to affect you as well, until we know more about what this rule is really going to be. Brady asks, or at least observes, was in rural New Jersey hotel last night for a work trip and the only thing on TV was schedule predictions and strength of schedule lists and I kind of wanted to die, hashtag overrated. Listen, stats, hates that I feel this way, which only makes me feel better about it. I think it's a waste of time. I saw Maurice Jones-Drew doing this last night, going game by game for a team, applying a W or an L. You can't predict what's going to happen during the regular season when you haven't even had the draft yet and you definitely can't predict what's going to happen in December. Teams change dramatically from January until December. We know that. We see that. We live that every year. But you know what? In April, we got nothing else to talk about. So we allow ourselves to get captivated by this process of, gee, how good is my team going to be? That's why the ESPN total numbers were all screwed up. There was no team worse than five and 11 in the ESPN team-by-team assessment of schedule and potential success. And that's why out of 256 possible games, there were 289 winners. Faisal Morali, if the commissioner or the owner tried weed, do you think they'd change their positions on the weed prohibition? Well, first of all, you're assuming that there are owners... Well, let me rephrase that, and choose my words as carefully as possible. You are assuming that no owners are actively smoking marijuana or using marijuana. I'm not so sure that that is a safe assumption to make. And that's all I have to say about that. Recliner QB, is the NFL's anti-cannabis stance more because of CBA negotiations and using it to get a major concession from the union or because the NFL seems to align more closely with conservative politics, politicians who are against it? Great question. Talked about that earlier. This is all a CBA issue at this point. I'm I'm convinced it's a CBA issue at this point. Valleyman12, haven't heard from Valleyman12 in a while. What happens first? Chris Sims unbuttons the top button or Cleveland wins the Super Bowl? It's got to be Cleveland winning the Super Bowl because that son of a bitch is not ditching his top button habit, which he apparently has been doing his entire life. JT Busco, how can the NFL juxtapose player safety but refuse to adjust an arcane rule about having only 46 game-day roster spots? There are tight ends that are playing tackle due to injuries. Why not expand to 50? They're paying the players the same. Well, you're right. Just let all 53 guys dress. Pay for the extra uniforms. Pay the extra game-day roster bonuses. Let the guys dress. It makes sense. Gears of Ted wants to know, now that the Jaguars have changed their uniforms, which teams do you want to see update theirs? All right, let me crack open the record and fact book and take a look real quickly. I know the Dolphins changed their uniforms. I just don't know what they did. I'd like to see the Eagles go back to the Kelly Green. I never liked the update that they did in the mid-90s. Keith Olbermann, I remember he was with Fox at the time. He called them rollerbar numbers and they were. I I don't like the Buccaneers uniforms. Go back to the Tony Dungy era or go all the way back to Bucko Bruce and the Creamsickles. I never liked the Seahawks uniforms as they got better. They were the first ones to get bastardized by Nike. As they got better, they looked better. The Rams need to get rid of the disconnect between the white horns on the helmet and their old uniforms from when they had gold horns on the helmet. When they have to wear blue jerseys, it just looks horrendous. But of course they're waiting to change their uniforms until they move into their new stadium. And people will continue to buy jerseys that are soon to be obsolete. I hope the fans realize when a change in the jerseys is coming, they should hold on to their money and not get all caught up in buying a jersey because you're going to be buying another one in a few years. At Matt Yvonne, is John Dorsey, is the John Dorsey cone of silence to include keeping plans for the number one overall pick, even from owner Jimmy Haslam? Is that the most Kevin Costner draft day movie ever? Look, or move ever, excuse me. I think Dorsey's keeping his cards close to the vest because they like the idea of having attention. If you can't get attention from winning games, get attention from having the first overall pick and being coy about it. Also, I think Dorsey wants to retain the possibility of moving down a little bit, taking whoever they take a little bit lower, and claiming that's the guy they would have taken at number one overall. Maybe it would have been. I think there's a chance the Jets get freaked out by the possibility of being jumped by the Dolphins or the Bills with those teams, either one, coming up to number two to get Baker Mayfield, I think the Jets could potentially jump to number one, the, B- the Browns could drop to number three, and then the Browns could take at number three, whoever they take, and say, that's the guy we would have taken at number one. That's a reason to keep your mouth shut about what you're doing at number one. At the C.J. Newman, will the Saints match the Willie Sneed offer sheet made by the Ravens? Is that too much for a slot receiver, receiver with one year of good productivity? Well, you know, last year was kind of a weird year for Willie Sneed. He had that suspension, and then he never really caught on again. And you look at how the Saints have moved on from guys without much hesitation. I don't think they're going to match. I don't. I think they'll let Willie Sneed go. And if he goes to Baltimore, that presumably ends the team's interest in Des Bryant, who doesn't seem to be interested in the Ravens anyway. At Steph Boyard, what do you normally eat for breakfast in the morning? Really? It depends. It depends on whether or not I am within the five-pound Weight range that I like to stay in. If I'm not, I do the Special K protein bar, one for breakfast, one for lunch, and then basically eat whatever I want for dinner, and I gradually get back into the five pound weight range that I try to remain within. If I'm in that range, and I'm not as of right now, I don't know. Depends on the mood I'm in. I like to scramble a couple of eggs with a couple of pieces of toast. That's the ideal protein packed breakfast that's got some substance to it. No bacon. Bacon if we're out at a restaurant. At home, two or three eggs scrambled, a couple of pieces of toast, and I'm getting hungry talking about that because I had two, I don't want to say crappy Special K Protein Bars because PFTPM Podcast, brought to you by the Special K Protein Bars, purchased individually at Sheets, At Jmart 2075, about that bowling outing, sign me up. I'm halfway to the Greenbrier right now. The Greenbrier is a long way away from here. West Virginia is a small state. The problem is it's a long and winding road to get from one area to the next. Sometimes it's about two and a half hours to get to the Greenbrier. At Joe Geiger Jr., if you were indicted and offered trial by NFL game, which team would you choose as your representative? That's an interesting question. I don't know where would the game be played? Would it be indoors? Would it be outdoors? What would the weather conditions be? What would the field surface be? I would err on the side of one of the better teams. I'd be tempted to pick the Patriots, although Bill Belichick would probably lose on purpose. That's a good question. I don't know. At Ebonculus, would the optics of Eli's memorabilia civil case heading to trial be enough to constitute grounds for conduct detrimental to the league? I don't know about that, but Here's the concern. And I asked the league about this today. They have yet to respond. Here's what they often do. I'll ask them a question. They'll respond quickly. And I appreciate that. Or they won't respond at all because I don't think they want to respond. So then they wait for me to ask it again to see if I'm really serious about getting an answer. And sometimes when I ask it again, they'll answer. And I'm going to have to ask this one again because I asked this. Look, there's a civil trial for fraud. There's no arrest. There's no conviction. There wasn't an arrest or conviction of Ezekiel Elliott. Is this something that falls under the personal conduct policy? Now, fraudulent conduct doesn't fall under the personal conduct policy by name, but theft is there. And I think I have the window open. Here it is. Actual or threatened physical violence. Well, obviously, that's not the case here. Assault and battery, including sexual assault or other sex offenses. No, that's not here. Violent or threatening behavior toward another employee or a third party in the workplace. No. Stalking, harassment, or similar forms of intimidation. No. Illegal possession of a gun or other weapon. No. Illegal possession, use, or distribution of alcohol or drugs. No. Possession, use, or distribution of steroids or other PEDs. No. Crimes involving cruelty to animals as defined by state or federal law. No. Here here it is. There it is. Crimes of dishonesty, such as blackmail, extortion, fraud, money laundering, or racketeering. Now, crime is the key word, because there's no allegation that Eli Manning has committed a crime. But if a fraud has been perpetrated, sometimes the only reason there's no crime is because a prosecutor hasn't decided to file charges. And if the NFL is going to disregard the criminal justice system and pursue its own investigations, when it has reasonable cause to believe that there is value in doing so is a civil claim of fraud. Do you investigate now? Do you wait for a verdict? What do you do? So I'm going to have to re-ask the question to the NFL, and I'm going to have to acknowledge that I missed this one. Crimes of dishonesty, such as blackmail, extortion, fraud, money laundering, or racketeering. That's the personal conduct policy. That is prohibited if Eli Manning perpetrated a fraud on someone, especially as it relates to NFL game memorabilia it's got to be something the NFL looks into. And I love Eli Manning. He's great for the game. He's great for the community. He's a great guy. I don't believe the allegations personally, but if a jury does, it's a different story altogether. All right. Good question though. Boy, I'm glad. See, there's another reason why I'm glad I do this because it forcing me to focus on things like read the damn policy that I thought I had read and I missed the freaking provision about fraud. Sergio D., my daughter wants to do a semester of study in the USA next year. She's narrowed down her choices to Purdue and WVU. Is Morgantown a safe city for a teenage girl to study and live in? Is it safe? Is any college town, is any town with a major college safe? I'd say it's as safe as any college with a major, or is any town with a major college in it. Steph Boyardee, what kind of footwear do you normally Where I picture you being a Jordan 11 low kind of guy. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. I I, trust me. My kid has about a hundred pair of shoes or is it pairs? I have like three. So I wear whatever is close by when it's time to leave. Sergio D has used the, I got the weed gift that I incorporated into my happy 420 tweet for Chris Sims earlier today. Boy, some of these questions. Have you ever had to use Morse code? No. Mike Durham, are you a fan of Glengarry Gary, Glenn Ross? I see you as a Ricky Roma type. I don't know what that means. Now I need to go watch Glengarry Gary, Glenn Ross again and figure out who Ricky Roma was. We all like the monologue, the Alec Baldwin monologue. Other than that, I thought it was kind of dry and kind of slow. I'll watch it again. I think I fell asleep when I saw it in the theater 25 years ago. Get through some of these and wrap this up. At CCSS 8800, if Tommy was amenable, how about Keenum and the fifth pick for Tom Brady with assets exchanged to make it worse? Denver gets another Super Bowl run. Patriots get their future quarterback and a viable one or two-year start at about time to get him ready. I like the creativity. You know, playing in Denver has not been good for Tom Brady, and I don't know that that Brady wants to go to a new team at this stage of his career. And I don't know how good the Broncos are at this point, but I like the creativity. At Nick Haberman, loyal PFTPM posse member, any chance there will be a different way to ask questions for the podcast? It's tough to ask questions when the tweet goes out during the afternoon, when the silent majority of us, pun intended, are stuck working. I'm sorry, but the problem is if I put the tweet out at 8 a.m., I'm going to have a thousand questions to answer. So I try to limit the number of questions and hopefully over time, you know, whether it's one day a week or one day, every two weeks, you see the call for questions. You see the bat signal and you ask your question. Sorry. Terry Gensler says on yesterday's PFTPM podcast, you said life is rated R. I thought I was the only one who ever said that either way. It needs to be the PFTPM posse motto. PFTPM, AKA life is rated R. It is. It is. At On Tour Forever, at what point is NFL going to realize that playing... Let me try that again. Because either I'm reading this wrong or it was written incorrectly. They need to schedule Thursday night games between two teams coming off of a bye the previous week. Here's the problem. If you schedule Thursday night games with two teams coming off of a bye in the previous week, if you're going to have Thursday night games every week, you're going to have someone with a bye in week one like the three years when there were 31 teams. Do you remember that? 2001, 2000, 1999. When the Browns came back before the Texans entered the NFL, there were 31 teams. Every week, one team was on a bye, including week one. You'd have to have two teams on a bye in week one. So then they'd play Thursday night of week two. Every week, those two teams, two teams, at a minimum, the two teams playing that Thursday night would have to be on their bye. And I don't know the NFL is ready to do that. There was some talk last year about maybe a reduced Thursday night schedule featuring only teams that had been on a bye, but the NFL decided full steam ahead. You know what? They got the right to do it. I think it comes back to collective bargaining. They got the right to do it. They're going to do it. And if the players want to change it, collective bargaining. You come give us something to get us to change it. Steph Boyer, do you want to know what three teams will be the worst three teams this year? I Too early to tell. You know, the... NFL every year the past few years has had a team that I could point to and say that team has no chance of making it to the playoffs this year. Last year, it was the Browns. The year before that, it was the Browns. This year, is there a team I can look to and say that team has no chance to make it to the playoffs? I don't think there's a team that I can say that about, to say that that team has no chance whatsoever to make it to the postseason. Because the Colts, if they don't have Andrew Luck, I'd say they have no chance. But as far as I know, they're going to have Andrew Luck. Washington... I'm tempted to say they have no chance, but maybe they do with Alex Smith. There's no other team that I look at and I say that team has no chance. Maybe the Cardinals. I hate to say that because I like the coaching staff. I like the front office. I like a lot of the players, but Sam Bradford and Mike Glennon, that's dangerously close to no chance to make it to the playoffs. All right. At Mr. Neely B. Can you pull back the curtain a bit? How did the decision to add Chris Sims to PFT Live come about? Let me just peel it a little bit. I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts as to how we picked Chris Sims because we interviewed and auditioned several different people, and it was not an easy decision by any means. But what we decided was that NBC likes having the simulcast on the air. Contrary to reports you may have seen, we are not due to be canceled. But NBC thought that to take it to the proverbial next level, it would be useful to have a second voice. Somebody who could be a foil for me. Somebody that I could make fun of. Somebody who could make fun of me. Somebody who would disagree with me. Somebody that I would disagree with. And that isn't really Stats' role. Stats was kind of becoming that, but Stats is a producer and he needs to be focused on producing, not focused on being part of the show. He has a specific role now, which is teeing us up with certain questions, resolving the PFT live draft, but they wanted somebody who would basically go toe to toe with me. And you bring in a former player, it's a different perspective. So I've got my perspective, Chris has his perspective, and we kind of hash things out. So that's where the decision to do that came from. And they were erring on the side of a former player. We tried a bunch of different people and there were several that I think would have been great. It would have been great, but at the end of the day, Chris was the guy who was offered the position. And again, I, out of respect for the people who were auditioned but didn't get it, I don't think it's fair to get into the nuts and bolts and the whys and the wherefores and why we picked Chris, and it was not easy. But Chris has been fun. He's a great guy. He's already one of my best friends. Yes, I have friends, and uh, I look forward to his visit this summer. And he won't, it's, By the way, it's now 420 on 420, although probably not for you because this podcast, like most, not live. Steph Boyardee, who is the best player on your Madden Ultimate team? Right now, it's the Brian Dawkins 98 Ultimate Legend that I got on a trade end of all the Ultimate Legends. They give you an Ultimate Legend player like every week for six or seven straight weeks, and then all of a sudden, they don't explain this, all of a sudden you can trade him in. I traded him in for Brian Dawkins, and he's pretty unstoppable. Although the Derrick Brooks, 98, that I have finagled. In certain packages where he blitzes, you can't get the ball off before he has you down. Offensively, I need to beef up the offense a little bit. I still have Deshaun Watson, 95, quarterback. I think he's reached a ceiling because, you know, the teams that you play online are getting better and better as the program gets deeper and deeper into its life cycle of one year, and then you got to start from scratch with a team that's a 58. But the teams are getting better and better. And Deshaun Watson, I gotta do better than a ninety-five Deshaun Watson. I gotta find a ninety-nine Deshaun Watson out there somewhere. I got a ninety-six Christian McCaffrey, good for ground and pound. A ninety-three Tevin Coleman, who's faster than Christian McCaffrey, nice change of pace. My receivers are good, not great. I gotta work on I gotta get some people on the right side of ninety-five. More people on offense on the right side of ninety-five. My defense is consistently and gradually getting guys on the right side of ninety-five. I need to do that offensively as well. I need I need to go work out and play Madden now. Between wanting scrambled eggs and toast and wanting to work out, I'm going to be busy once we're done. Good question from Darren M. Ova. What's my all-time favorite interview? I I I really like Tyron Matthew because he's so candid and he's so passionate. The most fun I had doing an interview was when we had Pac-Man Jones on the program, and he said the F word and shit live on the air. I had to apologize for Pac-Man Jones when we came back on the air. Also, I enjoyed the Joe Mixon interview from last year. That was the one time I departed from my, my general rule that I treat guests on my show like guests in my home because I decided, you know what, Joe Mixon is going to be asked tough questions. He needs to be ready for it. He needs to be asked tough questions about the sucker punch that he threw in Oklahoma. A female was on the wrong end of it. And I, I went after him pretty aggressively. And I think he, for the most part, he held up well. But uh, that, that was like being back in the practice of law again. Not that I want to do that on a regular basis, but that was, that was different. That one stands out because it's different the other ones I've done. Also, one last one. We were at the league meetings a few years ago and Bob Vasilopoulos who is an excellent field producer, there's a great video of him at the Jordan game against the Cavaliers where he runs out with a microphone and a camera crew to get to Jordan and get sound from him right after that game. He he is relentless, he is aggressive, he is a great guy and when he is on site at a setting like the league meetings. He'll go put the arm on people, as he'll say, to get them to come do an interview. So I'm sitting there ready to go. I don't know who he's going to show up with. We're just cranking these interviews out. Around the corner comes Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones went for 20 minutes, and he was great. And during the interview, a fly kept landing on his face, and he never was affected by it. He never batted at it. He never flinched. He ne- The fly kept landing and flying and landing and flying, and he was focused on the questions, the answers, and not doing anything that would take away from the overall presentation. That was, that was impressive. You get a fly that keeps landing on your face sooner or later, you're going to crack. And he never did. All right. One last question. And then we're going to wrap up today's PFTPM podcast of all the places in the world you could live. Why would you choose West Virginia? Just curious. It's not like they have any tax benefits or anything. Oh, trust me. I know every April. I know six and a half percent. And I, I do the math every year, and I explain to my wife, this is what it costs for the privilege to live in West Virginia, but you know what? It's worth it. Here's why. We live here primarily because of family. My wife's family lives in the town that we live in. Parents, both alive. Siblings here. Nieces and nephews here. We have a piece of land that is right at the edge of of nowhere. Although people who come in from New York say the whole thing is beyond the edge of nowhere. It's not the sticks. Al Michaels, I think is under the impression that I live out in the middle truly of nowhere. And I guess in comparison to LA it is, but we're close to wherever we need to go. NBC has never said to me, we want you to move to Connecticut. We want you to move to New York. We want you to move here. They've equipped me with everything I need to do everything out of my house. Why would I move? Why would I move? It's where I've always lived. I grew up in a different part of the state, ended up at law school at West Virginia, met my wife there. We were both in Pittsburgh for a while, and the pool 100 miles south was too strong. We moved down here. We both practiced law here. And really, if the dominoes had not fallen the way they had, there's no way I end up in this business. Because if I'd stayed in Pittsburgh, and if I'd practiced at the firm I was with in Pittsburgh, it would have been grind, 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 grind. Never a chance to develop any other interests. And if I'd have succeeded there, financially, there never would have been any reason to develop any other interests. So the only way the story happens the way it did is if we end up here, I end up practicing law on my own, I end up having the time to fish around and see that there's this website called NFLtalk.com that's looking for writers, and I happen to have time to write because my law practice was small at the time and on the way up. So... This was June of 2000. It's coming up. The 18th anniversary is coming up. Threw something together, sent it in, got the job, which really wasn't a job because it didn't pay anything, but I didn't care. It was fun. And a little bit here, a little bit there. It grows, it grows, it grows. It's a hobby. That's how I justified it. When my wife said, why are you doing all this for free? It's like, well, it could cost me money to do it. I could be golfing. And I could be gone for six hours and spend 50 bucks and pissed off when I get home because of all the stuff I could have done instead of being out there frustrated because I suck at golf. Or I can do this thing that takes a few hours here and a few hours there. And it's fun. It's a way to express yourself. You know, when you're a lawyer, you spend so much time writing for a ridiculously small audience, four or five people, pages and pages, pouring over precedents and facts and deposition transcripts. And it all comes down to a handful of people that's all whoever reads it so if you think you're decent if you think you have some writing skills and you find a way to have a platform where you know more people are going to read it that's kind of fun so i tripped into this business and there's no way I would have tripped into this business if i wasn't living here and th- i'm so thankful to nbc for letting me stay here and never pressuring me to leave and they pay the travel now look they pay the travel tony dungey from tampa every week Rodney Harrison from Atlanta every week. They don't require their talent to live in New York slash Connecticut. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I'm glad I'm with NBC. And frankly, if, and when the train ever pulls into the station at NBC, I don't think I'm going to go look for something with another network. Cause I doubt that any other network would treat the, the people on air the same way that NBC does. So I, I stay here because I can, Ooh, there's no reason to leave. And, uh, anybody who's been here from NBC understands. I'm glad that every year we have a, a, a get together here where folks come down who are involved with the NBC PFT relationship. And I think after being here once, they realize why I'm willing to, uh, you know, add the hours of travel to and from Connecticut every weekend in the fall. All right, that's it. Uh, oh boy, I bet this is going to be another long one because I've been talking for an hour and. We've got the two interviews. So thanks for your patience, for your time. I hope you enjoyed the interviews. I hope you enjoyed the weekend. And we did it. PFTPM Posse convinced me to do it. Five days, five shows. And uh, we'll get it going again next week. Big week next week. We'll get you ready for the draft. We'll react to round one. We'll get you ready for round one. Get you ready for round two, round three, and everything else. Thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you again next week